0: Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Okay, it's now time for the Word of God, and it is my absolute honour to welcome up Roderick Norman, one of our Elders, to share the Word of God this evening. So Rod, let's give him a warm welcome as he steps up. Good evening, Rock Church. If you're visiting us for the first time, good evening, welcome. And I hope you'll be as blessed by this message as I was when I first started writing it. Now, just a word of warning. This afternoon, I thought to myself, oh, I need to print out the message. And then I had my phone, set up the printer, and lo and behold, my phone couldn't connect to my printer. So I couldn't print the message. So I've got my whole message on my phone, and I'm hoping my phone doesn't go off at any time, or something happens, or somebody, wait, just in case somebody calls me, let me just turn that off as well, so that doesn't happen, okay. <laughs> but I, I do know this church shows a lot of grace, so you'll show me lots of grace this evening, won't you? Amen, amen. So, without any further ado, let's get cracking on this word. This word was inspired by a word that um, Simon brought a few weeks ago, which was about the cross. And on top of that, I was just inspired a few weeks as well, listening to the testimonies from Chris and Rob Cully about how they've been going out into the community and ministering to people and evangelizing people. So that's how this word was born The title of my my sermon is called Famous Last Words. And I was going through some of the famous last words that some famous people were saying. And these are some of them. I want nothing but death. That is Jane Austen. Beethoven said, Applaud my friends, the comedy is finished. Humphrey Bogart is one of my favorite ones. I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. can understand that one. Then Pablo Picasso said, drink to me. And Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. So these were all famous last words. It's not the best of words, you know, but these are the words that someone just before that passed on they decided to utter these words. I was thinking to myself, what will be my last words? It'll probably be, I hope the stove is off or something, because that's the one thing that bothers me constantly. Did I switch off the stove or something? That, that type of thing. You know, but you know what? Last words are something that you, know, you want to know about somebody. Their last words when they're on their deathbed. What is going to be the last words that they utter? And we hope it'll be something, you know, profound, something that speaks to us, something, you know, the, the amount of wisdom that they've accumulated over the years will come out in those last words that they're gonna utter. We should never have switched from Scotch to Martinis. You know, that is a lesson he learned. So but you know what? Jesus also had some last words. We know that when he went to the cross. On the cross he had last words, but on the cross wasn't the last time that he was on the earth. There was the last time that he was on the earth that he uttered some last words before he left. And one of these last words is in Matthew 28. So I'll read to, him, read to you. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is the last, Matthew 28 is the last words in this book of Matthew. And this is the last words that Jesus utters before he leaves. So clearly, these words were important to Jesus if we just paint the scene. So the apostles, all the disciples, the 11 disciples, because they're now 11, one of them has fallen by the wayside. So 11 of them, they come to Galilee because Jesus had told the women when he he left the tomb, tell them to get me to Galilee. That's the preceding scriptures. So they go to Galilee and they go to, and the first thing you notice here is that they worshipped, but some doubted. So some of the disciples, when they first meet Jesus, after he had come out of the tomb, the first reaction to him is doubt. And you know what? There is so many of us sitting here that still has doubt about our salvation, still have doubt about the work that God has done to us. We still have doubt about the calling of God upon our lives. But here we see Jesus he doesn't even speak to their doubt he doesn't address their doubt so that he's not concerned about it because he knows we will always have doubt as men and women of God you will always doubt things in your life you'll doubt the scriptures that you read you'll doubt the word that's coming from the altar you'll have doubt in your heart but here Jesus he doesn't even address it. what's the first thing that he says to them comes to them and says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me you have to understand the importance of those first words to them the first words he utters to them is all authority All authority, now after the cross, he has been given, he doesn't say power. He doesn't say all power has been given to me. He says all authority. Do you know what? Because I love football, and so you get very invested in football players and things. Do you know what? Football players have got so much power nowadays. The things that they say, what they wear, Everybody's invested in the lives of the football players. And even, you know, if, if you love um, actors and actresses, so you're invested in them. So when they wear something or when they utter something, you always, you sit up and you notice. Why? Because of the power that they carry. But Jesus doesn't say that power has been given to him. He says authority has been given to him. Why? If you are a football player, and you participate in a football game, there's only one person that the football players listen to. Who is that? Doesn't listen to the manager. Who do they have to listen to on the field? The referee. The referee is the only person that they have to listen to. The manager can say what he wants to on the sidelines, but the referee has the last authority on the field of play. No one else. If the referee says it's a goal kick, it's a goal kick. If the referee says it's a penalty, it's a penalty. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks or says. The referee has the final authority. And this is a difference between Jesus and anyone else because Jesus says he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth so you got to understand over your life right now Jesus has all authority over your life no one else only Jesus has the authority the devil may tell you oh I've got you I've found you that things are going wrong in your life that you're not going to make it the devil might Whisper all these things. But I'm here to tell you tonight. That Jesus when he came from the cross. He has been given all authority. Over everything in heaven and on earth. You can put every cent that you have on that. All authority has been given to him. So you can trust him in everything. But now he goes on. And he says therefore, go. He says to his disciples, therefore, go. Even though they have doubt in their hearts, even though they doubt what's happening, it tells them, I've been given authority, and because I've been given authority over earth and heaven, therefore, go. And that same instruction has filtered down through the ages to us as well. Therefore, go. When I see the work that Robin and Chris do, they go out into the community, they preach, and they minister to the people. That is what Jesus is talking about here. He says, you have now a responsibility as my disciples to go. You have to go. You can't come to church each and every week and just sit. That's not going. That's coming. But yet we live our lives as Christians just living to come to church. That's all that we do. We only come to church. We don't do anything with the salvation that's been given to us. We don't do anything with the love and the power and everything that God has invested in us, he says therefore, go when was the last time that you had really taken the time to minister the word of God to somebody, and I'm not talking about strangers I'm talking about family, somebody who you know needs God, somebody who you know is going through so much things right now more than what you could even imagine but you know about it I don't know about it So I can't go to that person. There's a reason why you have the family that you have. There's a reason that you have the friends that you have. Because there's a reason that you've been saved. There is a reason why you've been saved. It's not so that you can just come to church. It's so that you can take the message of Jesus Christ to your family and say, do you know what? God has done a work in my life. I can't do this in my own strength, but I've found someone who I can depend on, someone who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I know that person, and that person is Jesus. I know you don't want to hear this, but I have to tell you that Jesus is the one who can help you. He's the one who can save you. No one else is going to do it for your family. Don't think that suddenly, miraculously, I'm going to come knocking at your door. Hey, I'm here to minister to your family. Now I don't even know where half of you live. So I'm not going to get there. But you live there. You see your family every day. You see your friends every day. They confide in you about the things that they're going through. You know what they're going through, and yet you have the solution to their problems. They might not like it. You might feel, do you know what? I don't know what to say to them. I don't, and I've been like that as well. I am probably the worst person to go out and do um, ministry, street ministry. Because I'm too shy. I'm, I'm just a shy person. But, oh, people giggling over there. Um, that's my nature. I just, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not comfortable with it. But yet Jesus would have known that his disciples, some of them, didn't feel comfortable with it. But yet he still says it. He didn't say, um, Peter, just you. The sons of Zebedee, maybe John, you go. The others, you just start a church and let people come. No. He says to all of them standing there, the ones with doubts, the ones with fears, the ones with uncertainty, he says to all of them, you go. Therefore, you go. And what do you have to do when you go? You go and you make disciples. And that is so important because there is a difference between making a disciple and just making a convert. There's a difference just having someone converting to the faith and someone being a disciple. You have to understand that Jesus is very specific. He says, Go and make disciples. Previously, In Matthew 23, Jesus speaks about converts. He speaks to the Pharisees about converts. He says this to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. You make, you convert people, but you make them twice as much a child of hell. Why? Because you're not making them disciples. You're just converting them and leaving them. And that's not what God wants from you. He wants you to make disciples. So, what is a disciple? Early in the, gospel, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus answers that question about what is a disciple. He says in Matthew 10 verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And the disciples of Jesus would have understood what this, this term disciple means. A disciple is someone under a teacher. If you are a disciple, it means you are under a teacher. There is somebody who is teaching you and who is ministering to you. If you are a Christian and there's nobody teaching or ministering you, I would tell you right now, please find somebody that can teach you because otherwise you are just a convert. You have to be a disciple. The goal of a disciple is to be like his teacher. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is under Jesus with a goal of becoming like Jesus. When we consider the whole Bible, we see Jesus is simply using a cultural concept that was familiar to everybody who was listening to him at that time, about discipleship. Because Jesus' disciples would have stayed with him for the three years, clung to what he was saying, listened to his teaching, taken in his teaching, and they would have then gone, and what he taught them, that's what they would have taught somewhere else. And that is what we need. That's what Christians should be like. You can't be a lone ranger Christian. You find so many Christians that, you know what? I don't need to go to church. I can just sit at home and watch TBN. Call TBN, yeah? I don't know. So yeah, you know, those types of things, Just watch some gospel ministry, stream it, watch it on TV. No! You need to have somebody to speak into your life. You need someone who's going to come alongside of you. And that's what the disciple is. And that's what the, the, that's what the church needs to, to be. It needs to be a place, a safe place for you to come to, to be ministered to, to teach you. So how do you make a disciple? Because Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Do you simply say a prayer? And then suddenly, the, no, it's more than just the sinner's prayer. Discipleship is more than just saying those words, Lord, I give my life to you and I turn from our ways. You are now Lord of my life. It's more than that. It's about every single day working out your salvation. Every day being in the Word of God, having somebody, a mentor, or somebody coming alongside of you. It's much more than just a sinner's prayer. But now Jesus got two things that he mentioned specifically. Two things. And the first thing that he says is, baptize them. It's the first thing that he says. He says, baptize them. So that's the first thing. So this is not something that the church just makes up, to be baptized. Jesus specifically says, go and make disciples of the nations, and then baptize them. So if you're a new Christian, or if you're even a Christian that's been here for a while, and you haven't been baptized, I would strongly suggest that you speak to Kathy, who's sitting right over here, and you get baptized. Why? Because this is part of Jesus' last words, his last words. His last words. He says, make disciples of the nations, and then you baptize them. So if it was important to Jesus that you be baptized, it should be important to you to be baptized. Amen? Can I get an amen? Baptize him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A disciple is a man, it's a woman, it's a boy, it's a girl who publicly confirms that they have turned from their sin and self to embrace Jesus as a Lord and walk in his grace. Baptism is simply a formal expression, an outward expression of your inward faith. So baptism in this passage is a moment in time. It's a snapshot of your saving faith. It is not a process. Baptism is not a process. It's a one-time event that points to a specific moment. That's what baptism is. A specific moment when you first hear the gospel and then you respond to it in faith and say, Here I am, Lord. I want to be baptized as a sign of faith, as a sign of obedience. I want to be baptized. Does it mean that these disciples, after coming out of the waters of baptism, were like the teacher in every respect? Because remember, we're making disciples here. No. Baptism is not enough. It's not enough that you be baptized. What does Jesus then say? He says, Baptize them. And then what does he say? He says, Teach them. Teach them everything that I've taught you. You teach them. So it's important that you be taught. The nature of discipleship is not automatic conformity to your teacher, it's about learning. Therefore, the work of making disciples is about teaching the baptized followers of Christ what it means to follow according to the instructions Jesus himself gave us. The instructions, it's all in this book. it's all in the manual. We can't have any other instructions besides the instructions that's in this book. But you know what? I find we... The Word of God is so under attack nowadays. In this day and age, there's never been more of an attack on the Word of God. People don't want to know about what the Word of God says. They don't. That's why it's difficult to preach really according to the Word of God. So you find churches that would rather just preach something that the people want to hear rather than what God wants you to hear. There's a big difference. You have to hear, yes, but you have to hear what God wants you to hear. You can't want to hear only what you want to hear and take that in because God wants you to learn He wants you to change. He wants you to be more and more like Christ. And it's difficult. I know it's difficult because each and every day, for me, it's difficult when I get a scripture and the scripture speaks to me and I know I've got to change something about myself according to the word of God. It's difficult. So you say, oh Lord, really? Do you really want me to love my wife like you love the church? Do you really want me to offer up my life to my wife when she's treating me badly? I oh, know she doesn't really treat me bad. I'm just saying that. Oh, let's go. <laughs> For people who walk out of me and say, oh, Linda's t- treating Roderick bad. No. But what I'm saying is sometimes when God speaks to us, when He clearly speaks to us, because you know, you know when God touches you in your heart, when the Word of God speaks to you. You know, more than what anybody else, Lord, that was you that just said that to me. That's you speaking to my heart. That's you. Then how do you react? Either you turn away and you say, do you know what, that actually wasn't for me. It was for somebody else in the church. Or, not now, Lord, I'm still busy with my own thing. I'm still working through this. God speaks to you every single day. Every time he speaks to you. But do you listen? Do we listen to what he wants to say to us? And unfortunately the way he speaks to you it's not the way that he speaks to me. Why? Because we serve a God who's personal. He knows you. He knows you inside and Out, So he knows what you need. And what you need won't be what I need. And that's where we sometimes make the mistake, is that we compare ourselves to somebody else. And that's the danger. We look at somebody else and what they're going through, and then we compare ourselves to them. Oh, they're doing this, so I've got to do this. No, you serve a personal God. Who's taken the time to save you? Who's taken the time to speak to you personally? So it's for you to listen to him when he speaks to you personally because he wants you to be a disciple and not just a convert. Amen. I always worry when people are quiet. I don't know if I should um, be saying something else, but um, do you know what? I'll just press on. <laughs> amen so what does this mean for us going out and making disciples is important to Jesus it was important enough for him for before we left to have turned to his disciples and said he didn't say guys I know you got doubts I know you have fears it'll be okay Guys, don't worry. You'll be okay. You got this. He didn't say that. His last words to them was, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." So now he he set out the boundary. He set out the boundary. Set out the rules. I have. He has all the authority. He says, now that he has all the authority, now you go and make disciples. So why do you have to make disciples? Because he has all authority over earth and heaven. So even though you have doubts, even though you have fears about speaking to people about Jesus, he knows that. He knows That we can't do it in our own strength. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will speak through you the things that you need to say when you say them. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes... but on God's power. You don't have to convince people about God. You don't have to convince people to serve him. You don't have to. You don't have to. But you have to speak to them about him. He wants you to. As you go into this week, as you go home actually, You see your loved ones, family, or go home, get a text message from a friend, and you know the struggles that they are going through in life. You know their things. Be bold. Step out in faith to say, I know what you're going through, but I know someone who can come alongside you. I know someone who can get you through this? I know that person. His name is Jesus. You don't have to tell me about it. Don't tell me. All you have to do is rest your faith on Jesus. Just say, Lord Jesus. Don't even tell me about it. Lord Jesus, tonight I lay before you my problems, these are my things. These are my problems that I have that I'm struggling with. My friend has told me about you. My family member has told me about you. Put your faith out there. Brothers and sisters, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? It's not like a family can run away. They can't. They're family. Family will always be Family. I've got this one regret in my life. I'm just coming to land now. I have a younger brother. He's a year younger than what I am. And he's been in and out of all the wrong things. Involved in gangs, involved in drugs, alcohol, you name it, he's done it. He's a year younger than what I am. He could never hold down a job. Because he always thinks he's better than anything else. And it's been difficult, difficult for me to speak to him. Whenever I'm in his presence, I get angry. Whenever I see him, I get angry at him. It whirls up inside of him, inside of me, and I'd snap at him every single time. And as I was preparing this message, God really laid it upon my heart and said, why have we never ministered to him? Why have we never spoken to him about my goodness, the things that I've done for you? You've never told him that it could be done for him. You've allowed your anger to keep him away from me. That's that's where I am. And I to now think to myself, because my brother is now miles and miles away from me, how do I now rectify that? How do I rectify it? Because the things that he's caught up in, I can't just pick up a phone and call him. I know I missed the opportunity while I was there. But you know what? I trust that my God who I serve can still, over these thousands of miles, he can still do something. So I pray, my prayer is that I find that opportunity where if I have an opportunity to speak to him again, be able to say to him, whatever you're going through right now, I know the answer. I have the answer for you. And it is Jesus. You may not want to hear it. You might not want to hear it, But he has done it for me. He can do it for you. And I know each and every one of you is sitting here. You can testify about what God has done in your life And he can do the same in your family and your friends' lives. Amen.